Um, if you folks don't know me, my name's Adrian Farrell. Um, but some of you folks I do know, Uncle Joe. I've known Uncle Joe since I was about, what, five, four, five, from Molokai. Um, and, uh, and sister, I didn't get your name, but I enjoyed your uh, Sabbath school this morning. Um, sometimes uh, you, people understand things differently, and it's nice to hear it uh, presented another way, and you kind of presented it in a whole different light that I wasn't really thinking of. And uh, thank you so much, that was nice. But of all of you folks here, because of him, yeah? Because of Jesus, right? You folks, you have noticed him in your guys' lives, yeah? And you've, you've enjoyed him in your walk. And so you folks are here today because of him, yeah? Um, I'm not from the conference. I don't work for the conference. I, uh, we fellowship at the Hilo Church. I'm just a member there. And um, I'm a Pathfinder leader. Uh, my wife, Joey, and my daughter, Sierra and Geneva. Um, you folks probably know them. And um, I've been reading, Ellen White says that the best tool that we can use for helping others find the Lord is testimony, yeah? And so that's what I'm going to share with you. So I don't, I'm not a preacher. I rarely get the mic, yeah? And when Marco asked me to, to uh, come up and share with you folks, I tried to have him push me so far down the year that I could have this so many months of uh, um, preparation. But I'm building my house, and so I've procrastinated all these months, and I found that I had to preach within a week. And so this whole week, I've been really studying and everything. But Ellen White says that our best tool that we can use for helping others find the Lord is our testimony. And so that's what I'd like to share with you. Um, we moved here from Molokai when I was young, about 13, 14. And we were going to the Hilo Church. And uh, I ran through the, Hilo, through the school there. I graduated from Moanalo School. And about 14, after a week of prayer, uh, through Pastor Nidai, I, I gave my heart to the Lord and I was baptized at 14. And then eighth, ninth grade, I went to Hilo High. And when I went to Hilo High, there was such a big difference from public to private school. And if, if some of you folks have gone to private school and then gone to public school, you understand that difference. And at 14, 15 years old, I accepted that difference. I accepted that difference head on, you know. You know and um, I, went through Hilo, I went to Hilo High and... Um, I went to HMA for one year, my junior year. And some things had happened that with my grandfather passing away in my junior year, I had to come home. And in that time of being home, my grandfather owned like an eight acre ranch and my, grandfather, my father owned a 20 acre ranch. So with just him, he couldn't handle the two. So I came home to help him. And then I'd lost some school time. So what had really happened was, I didn't really want to go to summer school. I'd lost so much school that Summer school wouldn't have helped me, so I would have had to redo my junior year. And uh, when you're going back to a public school and you got to redo a year, you don't want to do that. Yeah. All your friends are going to see what happened. You look kind of like a total failure. And so I ended up going to this vocational school 
in Honolulu called Job Corps on my junior year. The ending of my junior year. It was a two-year course. I did it in one year. And, what it, and after that, after I graduated, I had to turn 18. And once I turned 18, I left Job Corps and I was out in the world. I was swimming, paddling my own boat. I had my own time, I had my own car, I had my own life. And so I started living my own life. And uh, brothers and sisters, when you start living your life away f- apart from God, sometimes in your life, if God taps you on the shoulder and you, si- and you turn around and say yes, you realize finally how far you get away from God. And it took me eight years to really realize how far I was away from God, right? And, um, and what happened during those eight years was a lot of stuff that uh, um, I was ashamed of. I'm still ashamed of it. There's a lot of things that I picked up, some bad habits. You ever heard the saying, when you lay down with dogs, you wake up with fleas? And so I had a bunch of fleas, and I was scratching, and I wanted them off of me, right? And the only thing I remembered was my life back when I was in my teens. And that was going back to church. And so I decided that if I wanted to overcome my life with all these fleas, I had to go back to church. And so at the age of 25, 25, 26, I decided to come back to church. And when I was coming back to church, I brought my wife back with me. Well, we were just getting married. And in a year, I was going to be a father. And, um, and I came back to church with this mentality to take away my fleas, to come back. And so that's where I've, I'm going to entitle uh, my sermon today. Fight the good fight. Let's bow our heads. Lord in heaven, Father, um, it's because of you that we're here. It's, It's because of you that we live. It's because of you, Lord, that we lift our hands up to you and surrender. It's because of you, Lord, that we can just focus on and thank you and praise you. Lord, we want to glorify you today, Lord. Father, may you will be done. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. And so actually, when I came back home, I thought the church, I thought the church life was going to be the thing for me. And so I got right involved with church. I became Pathfinder leader. I became head deacon. And you know, the first few years of coming to church, raising my daughter up, you know, we were crater roll, helping in a crater roll, helping with the kids. It felt good, you know. My heart felt, felt good inside. And I was just like, hey, thank you, Lord. Thank you so much, you know, for bringing me back to church. And I was feeling good about that. But fleas, you ever tried to catch a flea? Have you ever tried to catch a flea on a dog? They don't give up easy. Eh? They just don't stand there and say, hi, I'm here. You know, fleas are hard to catch. And I still had these fleas on me. And one day, about four years into coming back to church, this is, well, let me go back here. This, is, this was my routine when I started to come back to church. Friday nights, 
I was working at kind of like a nightclub, bouncing, watching the doors. Yeah? And I was doing it for free because I had picked, these are one of the fleas that I had picked up. And then on Saturday, I was going to church. And on Saturday night, I was Pathfinder leader. And that was my routine for, for a few years. And then one day, I had to come home and I had to tell my wife, you know, babe, um, I don't have a job. I'm like, oh, you got laid off, the job's, you know, because I work construction. And when you finish a job, if, if you're good, if, if the company still has more work, you get to go to the next job. But if, if it's slow in between, you get laid off for a few months. And so my, my wife had the assumption, or I made it look like it was the assumption that I'd gotten laid off. And then what had happened was, you know when you get laid off, you file for unemployment. And so I filed for unemployment, and I couldn't get unemployment. And so what I had to do was I had to tell my wife the truth, the reason why I couldn't get unemployment. And the reason why you can't get unemployment is because I got fired. And the reason why I got fired was because I didn't pass my drug test. So this was my routine. I was bouncing a place at night, Friday nights, going to church during the Saturday, our Pathfinder leader on Saturday nights, and I was getting fired for not passing my drug test. And up to this moment, I thought I was living a good life. I thought church, living the church life was for me. It was helping me get rid of my fleas. And this just happened just a few years ago. I'm not saying this is happening now. Um, this happened a few years ago. And what had happened was, I had come to the conclusion that something was wrong. Was it my church life? How come my church life, how come my involvement in the church wasn't helping me? And I was frustrated. And that's what I want to share with you today. Yeah? The life that happens after the Lord reveals to you what's really going on in your life. So the only thing I have to present to you today is me. And the only thing that I am is a sinner, right? I have lived the life away from the Lord. We're all sinners here, yeah? I'm a real walking, talking sinner. You know, I have, I have everything that a sinner has. No, I got pride. I got selfishness. I got my eyes focused on things of the world. I got hate. I got contention. If you talk to my wife, she could probably name a little more. But, and if you maybe, just maybe, if you push my buttons just right, we might see some other ones too. But we won't go there. But if you were to ask me, if I enjoy being this way, truthfully, my answer to that question would be no. Honestly, no. And the reason why I would tell you no is because I was tired of fighting my temptations. I was tired of falling into temptation. I was tired of sin in my life. I was tired of the guilt in my heart. And I was tired of pretending to be or act like a Christian. And I was tired of fighting for my spiritual life. That's why I would tell you no. But there's a reason why I was tired. You see, for so long, I've been trying to fight the battle myself. For so long, I thought God helps those who help themselves. 
Somewhere in my life, I got the idea that I had to, it was my, it was my problem, it was my business to correct a self-like, a Christ-like character. Yeah, it was, that was my problem. Everybody's got their own problems and we gotta perfect our own character. And that's how I thought. Steps to Christ, page 44. There are those who profess to serve God while they rely on their own efforts to obey his law, to form a right character, to secure salvation. Their hearts are not moved by a deep sense of Christ, but they seek to perform, they seek to perform the duties of a Christian life. They seek as that God requires of them in order to gain heaven. Such religion is worth nothing, right? See, somewhere in my life, I accepted the truth where forgiveness is justified through faith in Jesus Christ alone. We can't earn salvation. We just come. But there's something strange that happened. There's something strange that was, I was thinking. We come, just, we come, we get forgiveness. We come just as we are. We don't earn it. We don't merit it. Salvation's a free gift. But now that I've been forgiven, now I must perfect a Christ-like character as a way of showing Jesus how grateful I was for him to forgive me. So let me clarify my confusion. Over here, over here I have salvation as a free gift. That's justification, right? We can't earn justification. We just come. We just come to the Lord and he forgives us. But over here, I had sanctification and that was faith in Jesus for forgiving me plus my works. So it was like Batman and Robin. We're a one-two team, yeah? God was Batman, I was Robin. As long as I stuck with Batman, you ever guys watch Batman and Robin? There was a team. They went around and they destroyed bad guys, right? So as long, that's how I thought it worked. But as I read earlier, such religion is worth what? How much? Nothing. It's worth nothing. First selected message, 353. Some think they're committing themselves to God while there's a great deal of self-defense, um, self-dependence. They are conscientious souls. Brothers and sisters, I didn't know, I wasn't doing this on purpose. I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought that going back to church would help me. Who trust partly to God and partly to themselves. They do not look to God to be kept by his power. But they depend instead upon watchful duties against temptations, against performances of certain duties. Cold showers. You folks tried some of those. Walking the other way. There are no victories in this kind of faith. Such persons toil to no purpose. You know, before, I used to kick back with my friends. I was going back to church, and I used to hang out with my friends, and we used to talk about the good old days. And I used to find my heart enjoying talking about the good old days of, of, the, of the partying, of the of the different crazy things we used to do. Brothers and sisters, is that victory? Is that really victory? Sitting in church on Saturday and enjoying the good old days? That's not victory. That's not victory at all. So why, so why such a toil of no purpose? Why? Because the Bible says the real problem is where? 
on the inside. Join with me to Jeremiah 17.9. Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So what is our problem? Our problem is our heart. Can we fix our heart? Can we? Let's look at Jeremiah 13, 23. Jeremiah 13, 23. Can the Ethiopian change his color of skin, or the leopard his spots? Then may you also do good who are accustomed to doing evil. So we can't do good just as much as an Ethiopian changes his skin or his leopard his spots. So can we fix it? We can't fix it. But I was coming to church because of my, my guilt in my heart. I was coming to church because I hated my past life. I was coming to church because of the selfishness and the pride, and I wanted to get rid of it. I wanted to come out of my heart, and it was driving me crazy. And I'm the type of person that if something's bothering me, I got to get it done. I can't handle those kind of things. And that's the type of person that I, that I am. So you folks can see the condition of my madness, yeah? The sad part of it all was I didn't even know I was doing this. That's how blinded the snake had me, yeah? The devil. External, good, external obedience made me look good as a Christian, but it would never get me to heaven. External obedience made me look good in church, but it wouldn't get me to heaven. The only kind of obedience that counts with God is what? Heart obedience. And as we just read earlier, we can't produce heart obedience. External goodness is not righteousness. Never has been and never will be. Heart obedience is the only kind that will get us to heaven. It will get us up there, our heart obedience. Notice this passage in Desire of Ages, page 668. And it says, all true obedience comes from the heart. It was heart work with Christ, and if we consent, he will so uh, if we consent, he will so identify himself with our thoughts, our aims, and so blend our hearts and minds into conformity to his will, that when obeying him, we shall but be carrying out our own impulses. The will, refined and sanctified, will find its highest delight in doing his service. When we can hear some keys now, yeah? These are the some these are some things after after my thing that happened and I had to share with my wife what had happened. These are some things that that the Lord revealed to me. And these are some keys here. When we know God as it is our privilege to know him, our life will be of a life of continual obedience. Through an appreciation, here's another key, through an appreciation of the character of Christ, through communion with God, this is what happens. Sin will become hateful to us. Now, if something's hateful to us, do you folks have to try hard to like it? No, it's hateful. Hateful. Centipedes are hateful to me. I, I, you don't, I don't have to try hard to get near to a centipede. The only way I'll get near a centipede is with the bottom of my foot. 
I hate centipedes. Yeah? You folks don't have to hold me back from staying away from one. Yeah? I'm going to gross you guys out. I have a cup here. And I'm going to pass this cup around. And I want everybody to pass this cup around. And when you get this cup, I want you to spit in it. I told you I was going to gross you guys out. Okay? I don't want you guys to just go, I want you to like dig deep and bring it up. Yeah? And I want the cup to go all the way to the back. I want the cup to come all the way back from the front. And after everybody has spit in it, I need somebody to drink it. Why? It's hateful, right? Did you get that? Through an appreciation of knowing Jesus, through communion and daily prayer, sin will become hateful to us. This cup is hateful to you. The thought of drinking this spit is hateful to you. Everything about this cup is hateful to you. Why? Because it's gross. Yeah? All true obedience comes from the heart. And where do we get heart obedience? Through personal communion and connecting with Christ day by day. So what's God's part and what's our part? Let's look at John 15, 5 and put your finger there. And I want you also to look at Philippians 4, 13. John 15, 5, put your finger there and Philippians 13. Okay, so let's read John 15, 5 first. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He who abides in me, and I am him, bears much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Now let's look at Philippians, what did I say, 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So here in John 15, 5, Jesus is saying, here's me. Without me, we can do what? And in Philippians 4, it's saying, with me, we can do? Who's doing what it needs to get done? Christ. Christ is doing what needs to get done, right? Even the fruits, look at Philippians 5. If we abide in me, he's the branch, and I in him, we bear fruit. Yeah? Just a real quick thought. The fruits of the Spirit. I don't know them by heart, but there's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering, self-control. Even self-control is not ours. It's the fruit of the Spirit. So when somebody's acting crazy and we tell them, come on, man, shape up. And they don't have the spirit. How can they ever do it right? Because it's one of, it's one of God's things that he wants to give to us. It's the, one of the fruits of the spirit. So if Christ is getting everything done, so if God's part is, so if it's God's part to get everything done, what is our part? Our part is to get with Christ. That's our job. Our job is to get with Christ. His job is to get everything done. 1 Timothy 6.12. 1 
1 Timothy 6.12. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So we fight the good fight of faith. The fact that he says there's a good fight implies that there is a, a bad fight, right? Let me explain what the bad fight is. The bad fight is the focus on external goodness, on trying to think that we can do it. Trying, to, trying hard to stay out of trouble and do what is right. That's the bad fight. Paul says fight the good fight. And the good fight is the fight of faith. Or you could say the good fight is the fight of trust. The words faith and trust are pretty much the same, right? Right? They're synonymous with each other. And, and faith and trust are relationship words. And you can add belief too in with this. So faith, belief, and trust, they're relationship words. So fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. We read in John 17, 3, eternal life is knowing who? Jesus Christ. Laying hold on eternal life. Jesus Christ, right? So the way we grow faith, the way we grow trust, the is better getting acquainted with somebody. And if somebody is, if somebody, brothers and sisters, if, brother, if somebody is completely trustworthy, what do we need to do in order to, to trust in them? Give them our time. But sister, sister had brought this up in our Sabbath school lesson this morning. The way we trust in Jesus is we give them time. And the, and the more we give him time, the more you will trust him. Yeah? So the way you build faith, the way you work on faith, the way you build trust is by getting a better acquainted with Jesus. So the good fight of faith is the fight to know Jesus day by day. To know him. That's the fight. Because I'm telling, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, once you folks start getting serious, I'm not saying you guys are not, but I promise, once you folks start getting serious about trying to know Jesus, a snake is going to step up his plan. He's going to try, because Satan has no strength against Jesus. He can take us out, but he can't take Jesus out. And so he's trying to get us before we get connected to the vine. Because once we get connected to the vine, life, right? So he's trying to get, he's trying to crowd our time out. And the things he likes to use is drugs, mine, that was my one, drugs, sports, entertainment, If you look around the world, we can see a whole bunch, yeah? Even being church leaders, even being doing good things, Satan used. That's, the, that's one of the best ones that he, Satan uses. Because if we're, our mind is so focused on trying to get things done for the church, 
Are we really, really spending time with Jesus? We think we're doing good things though, right? We think we're doing things for Jesus and so, oh, maybe there's a, a, a notch over there on our side. But we just found out eternal life is knowing who? Is Jesus, yeah? The, the good fight of faith, we focus on Jesus and he makes us like himself. Way back in the Garden of Eden, God said, let us make man in whose image? Our image. We all understand God was saying, let us make man in our image. Today, he's still saying, let us make man in our image. Because he knows we can't do it. No matter how hard you try, we can't do it. So God is saying, he's going to do it for us. You're probably wondering, how does it work? 2 Corinthians 3.18. 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. What are we beholding? The glory of the Lord. We're looking at Jesus' face, the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord, brothers, the glory of God is Jesus Christ. Yeah? And as we focus on Jesus Christ, we're beholding that glory, we are being what? Transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Now, is it the image that God's talking about here, or is it the inner man? It's the inner man. The stuff that we're having a hard time with inside. The Lord, the Holy Spirit, and from glory to glory, just as by the Holy Spirit. So who's doing it for us? Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. So there's God's part. We look at God, we focus our eyes on Jesus, and He changes us as God's part and our part. Transform lives, brothers and sisters is a result of time spent with Jesus. Transformed lives. Christ-like characters is not something we achieve, but it's something that we receive. And that's a big difference, that's a huge difference. To me, realizing this, that's a huge difference. You know, as I was, as I was working on this, I had my thoughts going another way, and something kept on coming in my head. Nicodemus' name kept on coming in my head. And I didn't, you know, it was just a few days. It was like Wednesday, this past Wednesday. And my thoughts was going another way. I thought the Lord was leading me for another way. And Nicodemus kept on popping in my head. And I finally sat down, and I started just reading, just reading about Nicodemus. And... um. You know, it kind of it, it, it just really caught my attention to the point where I want to share it with you guys. Let's turn to uh, John chapter 3. Who was Nicodemus? He was a Pharisee. So if he was a Pharisee, that means he had gone up through all the Adventist schools, all the way up through college. Yeah? He had gone all the way up. He knew everything about what it is about to be a Sabbath keeper. He knew everything about um, 
temperance. He knew everything about the laws. He knew everything. Nicodemus knew everything about Moses. He knew where Moses sat, where he stepped, where he walked. He knew, Nicodemus knew all of this. And as you read here, Nicodemus, Nicodemus comes up to Jesus in verse 2 and he says, Rabbi, notice when does Jesus Nicodemus comes? Comes by night, yeah? What is he hiding from? The man who's supposed to know, know it all. Nicodemus was a type, he was so, he was in the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin? Sanhedrin. Yes, he was part of the Sanhedrin. When I, was, when I was reading, Ellen White says Nicodemus was a good guy, though. He was a real nice guy. He was the type of guy that you would hope your kids would grow up to be. That's who Nicodemus was. He wasn't a bad guy like how we read through all the different Pharisees, yeah? And he came to Jesus by night, and this is what he says. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with you. The fact that Nicodemus is calling Jesus rabbi and teacher implies that he didn't even know who he was talking to. He was, looking at the, he was talking to the son of man, and he was calling him rabbi teacher. And what does he say? You are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things, these signs that you do unless God is with you. What Nicodemus is really saying here is, Lord, can we talk about spiritual things? This is the man that he's a Pharisee. He knows everything there is to know. And he's over here asking Jesus, can we talk about spiritual things? The reason why he's asking that, because what does Jesus say? Verse 3, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What Jesus is saying here is, no way, we can't talk about spiritual things is because you would never understand it if, I, we, if we talked about it. You wouldn't understand. You wouldn't be able to see the kingdom of heaven because we, we would, you wouldn't understand it. You need the Holy Spirit. You need to be born again. And so Nicodemus is perplexed, yeah? How can I be born again? What? And he's perplexed. Brothers and sisters, if we don't know Jesus, if we're not inviting Jesus into our heart, Holy Spirit's not coming. And if the Holy Spirit's not in our heart, we're not going to understand spiritual things. We never will. And our cry will just be the same as Nicodemus in verse 9. What does he say? How can these things be? Jesus is boggling his mind. But Jesus loved Nicodemus. And Jesus wanted Nicodemus not to be in the dark. See, Nicodemus, even though he went to church and did all these church things, and even though he was a Pharisee, and he knew everything there is to do about being good, he was watching Jesus walk through the streets, healing people, and talking about words of life, and that was touching Nicodemus. And he was like, and he was seeing Gentiles walk away full in the heart, being transformed in the heart, and Nicodemus was like saying, I want that. I need that. And Nicodemus cries out, how can these things be? But Jesus loved Nicodemus, and he didn't want to leave him in the dark. And so what does, Nicod what does Jesus do? Jesus knows that Nicodemus knows everything. And so he, in verse 14, Jesus tells Nicodemus, 
as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Let's stop here. Have you folks ever, um, have you ever folks have ever something on your mind? You've always been thinking of something on your mind and it kind of like confused you and it, maybe it took a couple days, maybe a few hours or something. And then you heard something or something came across you and you went, aha, I got it. Have you ever had that? The aha moment? Everybody's got it. When Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. See, Nicodemus knew everything about Moses. So he knew about the serpent story. He knew that that serpent, through all his studying, represented the Savior, the Messiah. And all through when Jesus was walking on the earth, he was calling himself what? The Son of Man. So when Jesus said, the serpent be lifted up in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be. Moses had that, Nicodemus had that aha experience. He put the serpent and the Son of Man together, and he realized who he was really talking to. He was talking to the Son of Man. And then Jesus says, Whatever, whoever believes in me should not perish, but have eternal life. A key word there, believes. See, the people in the wilderness, if you look back in the wilderness, when they looked up at that serpent, if you read the story, they just had to look at it, and they were healed. And so Jesus is telling us the same thing. If you look up at me, if you focus your eyes on me, you'll get to know me. And if you get to know me, you'll trust in me. And eternal life is yours. Because what we read earlier, John 17, 3, eternal life is knowing who? Jesus, yeah? Okay, I'm going to try something. I want you folks to turn to Romans chapter 5 and hold Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 5, yeah? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and put this all together. But keep your fingers in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 5. And I'm going to bring out some other texts. I'm going to paraphrase them. I'll, I'll give out the full text. But I want you to keep your fingers in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, five, 1 through 5. So let's put this all together. Fight the good fight. So we learned that when we lift our eyes up to Jesus, when we set our eyes on Jesus in daily communion, in prayer and scripture, to better know him, and if the more we get to know him, the more we see his never-ending love for us. His never-ending love for us. The reason why we are in here, the people in here, us in here, and the people out there, the only reason why we're in here is because we understand God's love for us. It's the same love as for the people out there in the world. There's no difference. We all are the same people. We understand, we see that love, and it's touched us in our heart, yeah? So the more we see his, his never-ending love, the more, the more we see his love for us, the more we see our sins that separate us from him. Yeah? And the more we see our sins that separate us from him, the more our sins become hateful to us. 
Because when we step to Christ and a sin gets in a way, that hurts. And you start feeling, ugh, inside. And you start feeling like, hmm. And you want to keep your eyes there and the sin just keeps on getting away and you want to get it out of the way. It comes hateful to us. It comes hateful to us. And while we're experiencing, and then we come and we end up, we come to the point like, like Paul in Romans 7, 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can heal me from this body of death, yeah? We come like Paul. And while we're still experiencing this deep sorrow for sin, we feel dirty inside, empty, lonely. We think of giving up. We think, I, don't, I, I can't go to church today because I just feel so ugly. I feel like I'm just faking it. I just want to, you know, forget this. It ain't worth it. And we think of giving up. But the words of Romans 8, 38, chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, I'm going to paraphrase it, comes to the rescue. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And John 3, 17 I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. You guys can speak up too, you know. But to save. And with those still resonating in your head, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 comes, comes in again. We fall on that and get more insurance. I have seen your sins. I have forgiven your sins, but you're still mine. You're still my child. You're still in my hand, yeah? And Romans 5, 6 through 8, that while we were weak and sinful, I'm still dying for you. I'm going to still put myself on the cross, even though you slap me in the face, even though you spit at me, even though you turn, my back, turn your back on me, I'm going to still put myself on the cross. Keep your fingers in Romans 5. One five now. We're gonna we're gonna be hitting on it right now. But something else starts when we focus the, the same time. Once we start focusing on Jesus, there's something else that starts. The Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is promised, right? When we start focusing on Jesus, the Holy Spirit starts to need like bread. How many folks ever made bread? Starts to need like bread. The words faith and trust. They need them together. And together in us, through every verse, every line, here a little, there a little, we gain trust. The day, more time we spend with Jesus, we gain trust. Yeah? So that we have faith that we are justified. Romans chapter, I'm, I'm hitting on Romans 5, 1 and 5, 1 and 5 now. So that we have faith, that our faith and trust that the Holy Spirit has started in us, we start feeling justified for our sins. And we can stand in God's grace in Jesus Christ. Because the peace in our hearts confirms it. See, brothers, when we get the peace in our heart, it's going to confirm that we've been justified standing in the front of Jesus Christ, standing at the foot of the cross. That peace is going to be there, and you're going to feel justified. And that peace in our heart confirms that it's true. Is that worth hoping for? Because that's what comes next, hope. 
And with our eyes still on focus on Jesus, that snake, that dirty bugger, sticks his big tribulation foot out and trips us as we fall. And as we fall, our eyes just look down for a moment, just for a moment. But the bread of faith and trust now, that the Holy Spirit's been needing us, needing in us, has turned to hope again. And you remember how the Lord has took your sins and with his mighty arm threw them into the sea. No more to be seen again. No more. Who, the, only, the only thing that remembers your sin is a person looking at you or Satan trying to get you down. That's the only thing looking at you for your sin. Jesus, just, Jesus is saying, I've thrown them into the sea. They're not, never coming back. So if Satan is telling, talking to you about your past, praise the Lord and tell Satan about his future. Because what's where Satan's going to go? Going to hell. And that's the only people that remember our sins. Is people, other people, that want to look at you and not focus on God and Satan. Yeah? So the bread of faith and trust has turned to hope, and you remember how the Lord took your sins and threw them into the sea, never to be seen again. Then you hear the words spoken to Joshua 1.5. Let's go look at Joshua 1.5. This is Joshua now. The Lord has given him control now. Moses has died. They've crossed over the Jordan, and Joshua's got a million, two million people that he's got to lead through Canaan, right? One man. And this is Joshua, and he's telling, Jesus is talking to Joshua, and what does he say in Joshua 1.5? No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And I was with Moses, so as I was with Moses. So I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So when we have this hope, these words come to us the same as it comes to Joshua. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And with this hope still in our hearts, 2 Corinthians comes flying in. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Let's read that. Second Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light afflictions, which is but for a moment, is working for us a more exceedingly and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at things which are seen, that's up there, but we look at things, but at the things, I'm sorry, let me start all over. While we do not look at the things which are seen, don't focus on the earth, don't focus on you and I, because we'll get discouraged. Yeah? But, of, but at the things which are not seen, where are we looking? We're looking up. For the things which are seen are temporary. Things of this world are temporary. But the things which are not seen are what? Eternal. Eternal. Praise the Lord, yeah. And these words come in while our hope, yeah? If you're, stay, if you're staying through Romans 1 through 5, yeah? Things, when we focus on Jesus, things are eternal. So now as we set our eyes back on Jesus, your heart refreshed and full of new hope, the words 
not my will, Lord, but your will be done, rose off of whose lips? Our lips. Because we understand and we see that the mighty power that Jesus has taken your sins and threw them into the, into the ocean, never to be seen again, is going to be the same power, and you understand it, is going to be the same power that he's going to deal with our little things here on earth. And you're going to say, Lord, not my will, your will be done. And you're going to let it go to Jesus. Ephesians 3, 17 to 20. Ephesians 3. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height. When we come to that understanding, we're not going to want to fight our own battles. We're going to say, Lord, let your will be done. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of Christ. Now to him who is able to exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Whose power is working in us? Jesus Christ, yeah? Philippians 2.13. Philippians 2.13. For it is who? For it is God who works in you both for his will and to do all his good pleasure. So fight the good fight of faith, faith because Jesus wants to work in you. He wants to work through you. He wants to work for you. And as we read Philippians 2.15, this is why. This is why Jesus wants to, this is it right here. This is why Jesus wants to work in us, through us, and for us. Philippians 2.15, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as light in the world. That's why. I wanted to read my scripture reading at the beginning but I saved it for the end because actually the end is just the beginning. Philippians 3, 12 through 16. Just right there, Philippians 3. This is a scripture reading as I close. 12 through 15. Not that I have already attained or am already perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself having apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us as many who are mature have this mind, and if anything you think otherwise, God revealed even, even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be the same mind. That's our scripture reading.
One final note. Brothers and sisters, life can be lived. We can live life while having sin in our heart and looking at Jesus. We can live that life. I'm not saying it's going to be a victorious life, but I'm saying we can live our life with sin in our life while we still have a relationship with Jesus. The disciples are doing it. They walked and talked with Jesus and still had sin in their life. Jesus still had to rebuke the disciples. But I've come to this conclusion. If we walk with sin in our lives, with our eyes focused on Jesus, something's going to happen at the end. One's got to go. One is going to go. And that was encouraging, encouraging for me because I want to focus on Jesus. But if we're not focusing on Jesus and we come to the end, one's got to go. What is the one you're going to be holding on to the most that you're more familiar with? Is it the things here on this earth or is it the things up in heaven? Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you, fight the good fight of faith. Yeah? Continue to keep our eyes on Jesus. Because as we keep our eyes on Jesus, He will transform us into His image. He will transform us into His likeness. And it took me all my life to understand that. And I'm 40 now. And I wasted 30 plus years for myself. And now I see Jesus. And I look and I say, wow, Lord. How much more I could be doing or how much more I could be knowing more of Jesus if I didn't waste it on myself. And honestly, if I came to the end, if, if Jesus was coming to me and he would have said, okay, brother, it's time to go. At the point of time where I was, I probably would have said no. Because the only thing I knew in my life was the things here on earth. And I was feeding those things. And I would have held on to those because those are the only things I would have held on to. That was the only things I was familiar with. But when it comes to the end, brothers and sisters, one of them is going to let go. The Indians, the Indians have this legend. They have the good wolf. There's two spirits that live in us. There's the good wolf and there's the bad wolf. Whatever wolf you become in the next life, is the wolf you feed in the life you're living now. And so if you're feeding the bad wolf, that's the wolf you'll be. But if we feed the good wolf, that's the wolf we'll be. And the only way a wolf dies by starvation. Continue our eyes on Jesus. Focus. He wants to change us. He wants to renew us. Let's bow our heads. Lord in heaven, Father, it's because of you, Lord. It's all because of you. Because of your love, you reached down to us. You stepped across for us. You became the likeness of human flesh for us. Through love, because you love us. You don't want us to be in the dark, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Keep our eyes always on you, Lord. In everything we do, Lord. Let our hearts burn with the desire to know you more, Jesus. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.